There's another one. All right, all right, hang on. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Oh, man, it's like Christmas for me. Candidate filing closed today at noon. At 12 noon, a mere one hour ago. And what a fantastic day it has been. Let me recap. Early this morning, former Charlotte Mayor Patrick Cannon, Democrat, he who was convicted of the bribery, went to federal prison, served out half of his term, came back, served out the rest of it on parole. He filed to run for Charlotte City Council at large today. But wait, there's more. Former Charlotte City Councilman James Mitchell, a.k.a. Smudgy Mitchell, although it's not spelled with a D, it's spelled S-M-U-G-G-I-E. But anyway, um, James Mitchell also is running after he resigned a little over a year ago because he had gotten a job at a construction firm that got a lot of contracts with the city. So he resigned off of the city council, and then about six months later, he was uh, out of the uh, the job. And so now he's running for city council again. Um, who else is going up for at-large here? Oh, well, oh, hang on. Let me, let me just skip back for one second, because I never did finish reading Patrick Cannon's statement. So here it is. I'm just going to read it straight through. I'm not going to stop and keep commenting, because I'll never get through it, I'm sure. All right, here we go. Due to a mistake made by me that would cause me to voluntarily resign my mayoral post eight years ago and be sentenced for honest services wire fraud, business remained unfinished for the citizens of Charlotte under my leadership. To date, I still take responsibility for my actions then, remaining sorry for those shortcomings and continue to ask for forgiveness and of you and our community in its totality. A chance for redemption is all I can ask for and pray that you might provide it in a fall that was taken with the hope of getting up and starting a new beginning with your support. Can we as a community send a message to anyone that has fallen short to say we are a city and or a people of second chances? That question is before us and can be answered in April during early voting and during May for the primary election, as I offer myself to be of service once again as a member of one of the four at-large seats for Charlotte City Council. Leadership that is inclusive from a diversity standpoint, that addresses equity in parts of the city, getting what's due itself, along with economic opportunities that ensure women and minorities are engaged, is important. Leadership that is intentional in simply getting things done from a mere citizen service uh, request to instituting policies and ordinances that creates positive impact. It's important. Leadership that is involved in creating a viable city for future generations to live, work, recreate, oh, recreate, and raise a family is beyond important. Leadership that's inclusive, intentional, and involved should be our aim collectively as a city. In the end, working together still works. Might we do it together for the betterment of our city? Let's go! That's the full statement. Uh, If I had to sum it up in a word, the word I 
would use would be another word for chutzpah. And it kind of actually attaches to Patrick Cannon's last name. In fact, he used an image of this thing on campaign signs during one of his races. It was a cannonball. Yeah, yeah. Big old cannonball on one of the signs. And uh, people thought he was making a reference to... um, No, no, they... No, they, they thought he was making a reference to single shot, which is a tactic used... It's very difficult to pull it off, but it's it's this idea that if you if you can vote for four candidates and you only vote for one, you're basically giving that one candidate more power because you're withholding support for three others. And if enough people do that, then that one person who benefits from that single shot campaign, they uh, they derive the maximum benefit of the withheld votes of those who didn't get your support. That makes sense. So people thought he was trying to run a single shot campaign. Because he put a cannonball on his uh, on his sign. Let me go over here. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. Hey, how are I'm well. I, I I like I could not ask to be any better today. I know. It's like Christmas. Yeah. I like. I'm literally doing. I did all this show prep, and I don't even care that I'm not going to get to it because it's such. A, this, these are just such great announcements. God is rewarding you because you're such a giver. That's right. That's right. It's my lifelong giving has uh, resulted in this bounty for myself. So, so here's my question. I was wondering, and I was driving, so I couldn't Google. Are convicted felons allowed to vote in the state of North Carolina? I believe you get your rights restored. Yeah, I believe you do get your rights restored in North okay, Carolina. Okay, so a yeah. convicted felon not only can he vote can run for public office again. Indeed. Yeah, well, obviously so. I'm sure Cannon looked into the rules on that. I mean, we wouldn't want another one of those things where he, you know, voted as a convicted felon, thereby getting himself into more trouble. I'm sure he wouldn't make that mistake again. Much like I'm sure he would never be caught for bribery again, because he already got caught once for that. Yeah. Don't assume. Yeah. I'm hoping he has some public events where the public will be able to go and ask him questions. Mm, well, I don't know. If he was still wearing a mask when he walked in to sign up today, I'm thinking he may play the COVID card and say he can't hold any such events because, you know, super spreader, blah, blah, blah. Maybe. We shall see. Jerry, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Wait a minute. All right, all, right, all right. So I was going through the list, and I had Luana Mayfield. She's running for Charlotte. This is all. These are all Democrats in the Charlotte City Council Democratic primary. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Luana Mayfield, she of the 9-11 trutherism. Smudgy Mitchell, who I mentioned earlier. Patrick Cannon, who I mentioned earlier. Over at the uh, school board, we got Arthur Griffin. And I got a story about equity. Now, Arthur Griffin, this was 20 years ago. Arthur Griffin was talking about equity back then. And there was some construction project that had come up for this because we were building a lot of schools back then. I, I mean, this was before like everybody was bringing guns to school and and, and like this, you know people actually wanted to be in a lot of CMS schools. Anyway, uh, you know, very long time ago. So you got the build, big building campaign and lots of bond referenda getting passed. And there was a guy named Guy Chamberlain, and he would he was in charge of all the construction projects. And he's doing a presentation, and Arthur Griffin asks him. Because uh, Chamberlain says this is what the building is going to look like and talks about how there's some cost savings because we're going to do a half brick facade. In other words, 
you're not like halfway up the front of the building, but like the thickness of the brick. You don't need a full thick brick when you're building anymore because you could just, you, you know, you build it differently and you put the facade on it. It looks like brick. It's half a brick. That's half a brick wide. Okay. So Chamberlain is explaining half brick, blah, blah, blah. And Arthur Griffin stops him and says, What's, what is Myers Park built out of? And Chamberlain says, well, that school's really old. It's full brick. And he said, well, if Myers Park has full brick, then by golly, this new school's going to have full brick too. And Chamberlain's like, well, that's going to cost a lot more money. And he's like, it doesn't matter. That's, that's what equity is about. So that's Arthur Griffin. He's trying to run for school board again. He's, gonna, he's making a comeback. But wait, there's more. Wilhelmina Rembert is one of the people on the list to fill the unexpired term of Ella Scarborough, who is now in hospice care after not attending any of the county commission meetings since her re-election to the post. That apparently a lot of county commissioners now claim they didn't know anything about. But wait, there's more. There's another candidate. This one is my favorite. I'll tell you in a minute. News Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete of the show. 704-570-1110-1800 WBT-1110. By the way, tickets on sale for WBT's 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. It is on Saturday, April 9th at Halton Theater on the campus of uh, CPCC. And uh, it's the largest group of WBT alumni ever gathered together for one event. So come celebrate, come hang out again, April 9th, Saturday, go to WBT.com for details and for tickets. All right. We have another candidate that I have not mentioned yet. Another blast from the past. This individual is going to run in North Carolina House of Representatives District 112. He will be running in a Democratic primary. He'll be running against a former state lawmaker, Trisha Cotham, whose mom, Pat, is on the county commission, who's also running for re-election, Pat Cotham. Who is this person? It's not Yolanda Holmes, and it's not Jay Holman. It is Rodney Moore, everybody. Rodney Moore. Why does that name sound familiar? No, 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 not the former police chief of Charlotte-Mecklenburg. That was Rodney Monroe. Rodney Moore, no, 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 not the adult film actor. And I just learned that, by the way, in pulling up the Google search, because I've done not like this is all I'm doing all of this on the fly, because I could not believe when I heard this morning I was getting ready and I'm, I'm in the bathroom, I'm brushing my teeth and I hear Brett Jensen talking with uh, Hancock and Bo and they're talking about Pat Cannon throwing his, well, throwing his name in the hat and then the the hat in the ring. I, I never know which one of those metaphors to use, to use, whatever, but he's running, he's running for at large city council. So now candidates, uh, the candidate filing has closed. And so here's, you know, like I'm looking at the website and they're updating all of the candidates and it's just, it's like blast from the past, another blast from the past, another blast from the, but wait, there's another blast from the, past. it just keeps coming. So Rodney Moore, who was indicted on nine felony counts involving false campaign finance reports. The guy was filing false campaign finance reports for like nine years. 
as a state lawmaker. I think he's earned a spot back in the General Assembly. What do you think? This is this is this is a clarifying moment. There's no coming back from this, by the way, folks. There isn't any coming back from this. Charlotte Democratic voters have the power to restore Charlotte's reputation as uh, a good government, clean government city, because it had that. I don't know if I don't know if everybody's aware of that, but it used to be that way. Charlotte used to have a reputation as a good government and clean government uh, jurisdiction. And we lost that. And it has continued to erode. It it started, I mean, you've got, I'm not going to run through all of them. I could, but I mentioned one of them earlier, Jim Black from Mecklenburg County. Now he wasn't in city government, but the corruption at the state level that Democrats engaged in, and that, that helped to undo them and, and remove them from power in 2010. That's how that all happened. This wasn't like some, it's not like Republicans snuck in and like redrew the maps to give themselves some gerrymander so they could then win in 2010. No, they beat Democrats in the maps Democrats drew. And part of it was shifting demographics and the you know uh, political geography where Democrats tend to live in the you know, closer into the cities and Republicans are more spread out. And that just redounded to the benefit of the Republicans. But also Democrats had had scandal after scandal after scandal, corruption scandals. People went to prison. Congressman Frank Balance, we had uh, uh, Meg Scott Phipps, the agriculture commissioner. Mike Easley lost his law license. Um, and uh, then his wife and his daughter, or his wife and his son were driving around in like some free cars in Raleigh. It's some sort of a shady deal with the dealership. Uh, Jim Black, obviously, with the taking the envelope stuffed with cash uh, in the, the, the bathroom of the IHOP in Salisbury off I-85. Yeah, we'd meet people for there. They'd have, they'd have breakfast, and then they would stuff envelopes. They'd pass them underneath the, uh, the stalls. So... Like this, this amount of corruption, I, I, I bring these things up because like people want to believe that somehow or another Republicans like got into power through some nefarious acts. And it's not the case. But here's the here's the key for me. And I, and I mean this in all seriousness. This is largely going to be determined by Democratic voters and Democratic voters are going to have to make a decision here. Do you prefer to be governed by corrupt Democrats or a clean Republican, even if just for a short time. Because you can throw the Republicans out in another two years if you don't like the way they've been governing, especially these local races and state races. Those are two-year terms. So it's only two years. But, but are you going to make a decision to vote for convicted felons all across the ballot? There are a bunch of them, apparently, you get to choose from. And you better choose wisely because you will set this city on a course from a PR perspective that it will never recover from. That's just that's just my advice. But what do I know? Just a little old radio host. What a day. What a day. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. I just found out a detail that I did not know. 
apparently one of the other Charlotte City Council at-large candidates used to work here in our promotions department, Larkin Eggleston. I did not know that. I had no idea that he used to work here. I'll I'll just leave it short there. There might be something else maybe I could go into later, but we'll see. All right, so um, I'll just leave it there. (laughs) I'm just saying I've got, there's a source. I'm not going to say anything else. Okay, so I was looking through the list. I did a a control F, you know, in order to find the candidate list uh, for this name. Because with all of the names so far that have been popping, I thought certainly, certainly Nick Mackey's got to be running. He's not. That would, I, I know I was, I'm, that's, I'm getting greedy. I'm getting greedy thinking that he could, he could have been on the list too because that would have been the coup de grace. That would have been perfect. For folks who do not know, Nick Mackey came out of nowhere and became our sheriff for a fleeting moment <laughs> Well, I don't actually know if he ever took the reins as sheriff. I think uh, they, I think the Democrats uh, cut him off at the knees before that could happen. So years ago, prior to 9-11, we had a Democrat sheriff named Jim Pendergraf. His chief deputy was Chip Bailey. Jim Pendergraf, uh, after 9-11, he started putting in place um, uh, the 287G program under the George Bush administration. And Bush asked him, now he's a Democrat, but he said, would you like to go around the country and help sheriff's offices implement the 287G? That helps identify illegal immigrants when they come into the jail when they're arrested for something else. And so Pendergraph said, okay. And so he joined the administration, and that left open the seat for sheriff. But Pendergraph, being a Democrat, even though he took a job with the Bush administration as a Repub- or in a Republican administration, he was still a Democrat. Chip Bailey, also a Democrat. And everybody just assumed, well, the Democrats make the appointment, the political party, the the Mecklenburg County Democratic Party makes the appointment to fill the unexpired term, just like they're doing with the um, uh, with the Ellis Scarborough seat. The county commissioners are making that appointment, but it has to be a Democrat. It's got to be from the same party. Okay, so because this is a standalone elected office, there isn't, you know, another body to make that pick. So it goes to the party to make the pick. And. They had their normal party, non-democratic mechanisms in place. You know how the Democrats do. Like, they they got their super delegates, right? Where, like, certain people, if you're an elected official, you get, like, 10 votes. And if you're, like, the chair of the, the you know, Lint Collectors uh, Caucus in the Democratic Party, then, like, you get five votes. So, like, they got all these crazy weights that they give to different leaders and people in their group. So this way they can, they can swing races. They can swing, you know, like party races inside their party. Okay. We all got a crash course on this BS because out of nowhere, this fella named Nick Mackey shows up and wins the ballot in the democratic party election over chief deputy chip Bailey, chip Bailey, like, you know, career law enforcement, Nick Mackey, never a cop. Never in law enforcement. Actually had like run-ins with the law. And this was the guy that just won in the party race to be the sheriff of Mecklenburg County. 
And so now Democrats were scrambling. How do we stop this guy from winning? Well, it turns out Nick Mackey did a little operation, let's say. Because Nick Mackey was, oh, by the way, after uh, all of this played out, he did go on to serve in the state legislature, which is yet another piece of evidence why I would I would bet that Democrats are going to elect you know, convicts and corrupted people. They're going to send some of these people into public office because there's just a track record here of them doing that. So I, I fully anticipate that continuing. So Nick Mackey eventually did win a General Assembly race, but then uh, lost it uh, quickly thereafter. Um he had won that sheriff's ballot inside the Democratic Party race. He won that by going to, anyone want to take a guess? Where did he go to collect ballots for this race? Nursing homes. Yeah, nursing homes. He went to nursing homes and he got people who didn't know who they were or where they were to cast votes in this Democratic Party race. Republicans had no control. It was an intra-party deal. And because they did not want Nick Mackey in charge, the knives came out and they they forced uh, they forced a re-vote, a re-election, and this time Bailey actually tried. <laughs> well, because he didn't nobody thought he had to. Everybody in the party was like, Chip Bailey, he's our guy. Right? He's Longtime Democrat, law enforcement, Pendergraph was like, I think you should pick Chip Bailey. And the Democrats were like, we agree. And then all of a sudden, here come all of these ballots getting stuffed in boxes out of nursing homes. So that's why when I came across this story out of Wisconsin, I paid particular interest. Headline, special counsel finds widespread election fraud in nursing homes. I wasn't surprised. I've known about this tactic for almost 20 years. So thank you, Nick Mackey. Also, I want to reiterate, not on the ballot this year. So don't get your hopes up, Democrats. A federal judge just blocked an effort to keep U.S. Congressman Madison Cawthorn off the ballot this year. The State Board of Elections cannot proceed with an inquiry that could have disqualified him over his role in the January 6th protest that turned into an attack on the U.S. Capitol. That's from Travis Spain. I'm not going to have time to go into it, although I did have a whole stack prepped for weeks on that topic, and I just never got to it, so that's all gone. Although they're, the challengers are going to appeal, so maybe they're... Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll get to that probably on Monday. Um, this from thefederalist.com by Margot Cleveland. Quote, Rampant fraud and abuse occurred statewide at Wisconsin's nursing homes and other residential care facilities, according to the Office of Special Counsel's second interim report that was filed on March 1st with the Wisconsin General Assembly. That conclusion represents but one of the key findings of election irregularities detailed in the nearly 150-page report, a report that also confirms the conclusion of the Racine County Sheriff's Office last fall that found fraud occurred at nursing homes in Wisconsin. As I explained with the Nick Mackey situation here, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was, well, probably about 15, um, same sort of deal. You go into the nursing homes, you find people that don't know who they are, where they are, what they're doing, and you you vote their ballots. Special Counsel Michael Gableman, the retired state Supreme Court justice that was appointed by the Wisconsin Assembly to investigate integrity concerns about the 2020 elections, vetted more than 90 nursing homes in five counties 
before concluding that there was, quote, widespread election fraud at Wisconsin nursing homes in November 2020. According to the report, nursing home staff and administrators illegally handled absentee ballots, illegally assisted with marking residence ballots, illegally witnessed the voting, and possibly included forgery of the elderly residents' signatures. Under Wisconsin law, these violations constitute fraud. This fraud was originally uncovered by the uh, Racine County Sheriff's Office. They did a local investigation just in that county. That led to the, the broader investigation statewide. Wisconsin Election Code requires local municipalities to dispatch two special voting deputies, or SVDs, to these facilities. That's the mechanism that was in place, but just like all things else during the November 2020 election cycle, right? Democrats changed the rules without changing the rules. They just operated differently. See, SVDs are supposed to personally deliver the ballots to any residents of the facility who want to vote. Then they're supposed to witness it. And by law, only a relative of the voter or an SVD is allowed to assist in that process. After the ballot's done, the SVD has to seal the ballot envelope and deliver it to the elections clerk. That's the process that Wisconsin has set up for people who are in nursing homes. So when the sheriff got wind that illegalities had occurred, fraud had occurred, he launches an investigation. He takes his findings, which were in line with what the general counsel or special counsel found as well. He takes his findings to the district attorney. And you'll never guess what the DA did, or I should say, what the DA didn't do. That's right, prosecute. The DA in Racine did not prosecute. The illegalities at one particular uh, nursing home, Ridgewood was its name in Racine, were repeated at more than 90 other nursing homes in five counties vetted by the uh, special counsel team. The fraud and abuse, uh, according to the counsel uh, report, concluded uh, that this resulted ultimately from the unlawful acts of the WEC members and its staff. The WEC is the Wisconsin Elections Commission. The special counsel stressed that despite the clear mandates of Wisconsin law that SVDs be used, the Elections Commission directed clerks not to send SVD to facilities and to instead mail ballots to voters in those facilities. They say the regular rules for absentee voting by mail will apply to ballots sent by mail to care facility voter. The report then detailed, as the sheriff had in his local report, that that directive constituted fraud under the Wisconsin Election Code. Now, the special counsel report shows the fraud was not merely technical fraud, but it actually resulted in ballots cast and votes counted contrary to the intent of the nursing home residents. The improbably high voting rates alone create strong inferences of fraud. But the special counsel also gathered evidence of fraud, such as suspected forgeries of signatures, as well as situations in which the residents who cast a vote had been adjudicated mentally incompetent, meaning they no longer had a legal right to vote. Other residents, while not adjudicated mentally incompetent, were unaware of their surroundings with whom they are speaking at any given time or even what year it is. Some went down to vote on Election Day and found out they had already had their votes cast. 
In Milwaukee County, the number of nursing homes that they checked, 30. The number of registered voters in that nursing home, 1,084. The number of voters who voted in November 2020, 1,084. That would be a 100% vote rate. In Racine County, they looked at 12 nursing homes, another 100% vote rate. In Dane County, another 100% vote rate. In Kenosha County, a 97% vote rate. And in Brown, 95% vote rate. The special counsel report also condemned the Elections Commission for attempting to justify its illegal conduct by claiming it wanted to ensure seniors were not disenfranchised during COVID. Quote, in no way was the WEC's mandating illegal activity a solution to disenfranchisement. To fully understand the significance and the scope of the fraud, the special counsel says a statewide complete audit of all absentee votes from all facilities that were supposed to use SVDs is necessary. And I will conclude that the uh, attorney general is refusing to uh, prosecute this as well. With about 92,000 people in Wisconsin who reside in these facilities, the failure of Wisconsin election officials to prevent wards and incapacitated persons from voting cast doubt on the election result. The general election result showed the Midwestern state broke for Joe Biden by 20,682 votes, 20,682. And there are 92,000 people in the facilities. What have I been saying since the, uh, since the election? When people come to me with allegations of fraud, I say, show me the evidence. Well, this is what you call evidence. Up next, we're going to talk to Mark Robison, not the lieutenant governor. This fellow's running for state senate. Stick around.